Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful today of your marvelous, wonderful grace that we have received, that we, that we have because of you. Lord, we recognize, we admit that without, Jesus, without you, we would have nothing. But in you, we have all things. Lord, even this morning, just singing about the day that we will see you face to face. Oh, Lord, help us to live in light of eternity and in that moment in time. Help us let loose of this world and grab hold of you. And this morning, as we open your word, would, it, would you speak to us and continue to do that great work in our heart and our lives of making us look more like you? And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you this morning. We believe your word is true. Help us to hear it. Help us to receive it. This morning we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you'd open your Bible, if you have it, if you don't, there's one in front of you or it'll be on the screens to Mark 7, Mark 7, verse 1. Now, if they've kind of briefly mentioned this, but today it's, it's kind of odd. We're, we're, we're transitioning into, uh, uh, in the book of Mark um, into where Jesus is going to address traditions. And uh, he's going to, the, the scribes and Pharisees are going to come after Jesus, and they're going to say, hey, you're not observing things the right way, and you need to do things a little bit different. Kind of interesting when you're going to Jesus like that. And he's going to deal with them. So kind of found it interesting. We're singing hymns this morning. We got a new bulletin. So there's two ways to look at it if you're, if you're big into traditions of the church. One, if you're like, finally, we're singing hymns. That's what I was saying. I'm with you. So I love some hymns. I love me some hymns. I grew up with them. Um, and then the other, somebody walked in there like, this isn't our old bulletin. I don't like it. Changing everything around here. The article's not on the front. Uh, you know, I don't even like Ryan's article. No. Uh, um, we do have new. I hope, I hope this is helpful for you. Uh, they did a great job with this. And so um, there's a ton of reasons why this is um, something that we're doing now. But um, so new things. So traditions is what we're talking about. So I just kind of found it funny. We sang, I think we're singing a hymn after this too. So it's, it's hymn Sunday. Um, but, uh, but as we think about traditions, um, one, of the, one of the great things about preaching through books of the Bible, um, why I'm committed to that here is in teaching through the word expositionally. The reason we're committed to that is because um, it, it allows us to come underneath the full teaching and the full counsel of God's word rather than me or someone else kind of picking the things that we think that we need. We kind of allow God to direct the process in that. And so today we come on traditions. So let's read Mark 7, 1 through 8. Mark 7, 1 through 8, and then we'll dig into it together. Reads, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples are with, with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, when we're reading this, um, just, just glance, he's, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, their issue is Jesus, right? And his disciples are a reflection of him. And so their attack is not on his disciples. It's an attack on him. They're basically saying, so if they're doing this, 
That means you're teaching them this. It's kind of important, I think, as we read it. So verse 2 again. They saw some of his disciples ate with hands that are defiled, that is, unwashed. Verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining, and, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Ouch, right? Of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So traditions, these are touchy things, aren't they? They're tradition, and maybe not just in the church, in life. I mean, are there, are there family traditions that you have that you don't mess with, right? I mean, I remember the, the tradition growing up. I don't know if anybody remembers this. I remember growing up, the, the time in which um, my, my parents changed some traditions around Christmas, right? There wasn't as many presents. There weren't so many things. And it was a little bit challenging to deal with a change in tradition. It's not, I think a lot of times traditions are always kind of pointed toward, well, that's like older people hold to traditions and younger people don't. All of us have traditions that we love, that, that we hold on to in life and that, that are precious to us. And traditions aren't necessarily bad things. There's, there's family traditions, there's, there's football traditions, right? There are things that I do before I watch a Green Bay Packers game. No lie. And in some way, I used to, I don't anymore, I used to think that if I didn't do those things and they lost, right? That's called superstition, I think, instead of tradition. Is that right, Don? Yeah, that's backwards. But there's these traditions, we do them with all kinds of things and whatever, there's somebody else in this room like me that does that too, right? And we have traditions, we have these, these traditions we do in, in life, but in the church, and we're going to do some audience participation. We don't do this. What are some traditions that are just kind of commonly known in the church? Anyone? What? Bulletins, yeah. Some traditions that, that people widely accept that they want. They can be good or bad. In Sunday school, yeah. Yep. What else? Singing, communion, right? Yeah. Anybody else? Food. <laughs> what did somebody say down here? Yeah, food. I'm all about that tradition. I love, if anybody messes with the tradition of me eating, I'm going to be mad. So um, we have all these traditions, and there's things that we like and we dislike. You know, example, one of the things that probably a tradition here, I don't know what the tradition was before I came here, but for me, baptism, right, is not um, necessarily something highly liturgical, but it's something, something highly celebrational for me. And so the way in which I baptize and the way that I've done that might not be in the traditional sense. And so maybe the first time I baptize someone here, you're like, ugh, man, he, he was like really free up there. He almost went underneath with them, right? <laughs> like there was this, and it's, it's not a right or wrong, 
right? It's just a different thing. The whole, the whole point of baptism, correct, is that someone is up there saying, I love Jesus Christ, and I have, I have so given my life to him that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and I want everybody in the world to know that I have died, and Jesus is alive, and I'm going to a watery grave to show it. Right? I mean, that's what's amazing about that. And we can make some traditions, right? We can make them about form, the way in which we do it, rather than about the substance of why we do it. And that's really maybe when we get to the heart of traditions. The question is about form and substance, right? What, which is more valuable in this? And the Pharisees and the scribes, and we're going to dig into this, what were they about? They were all about form. They were all about following the letter, the heart being disconnected, that, that really did not matter as much as you doing it right. And they knew what was right, and they had a lot of books that were written to help them know what was right. And so this, this is kind of the issue. And so it, we're going to be in this for the next three weeks, and he's going to deal with it over, over this, this section of text. And so I'm going to ask you a question from the go. To allow, will you allow God to do this in your heart? Are you willing today and in the next few weeks to assess your heart and see if your worship is more about the traditions you like than the God you love? I'm going to say that again. Are your traditions more about, is your worship more about the tradition you like than the God you love? And by the way, if it's more about the tradition you like, your worship is really not about God, you're really worshiping yourself. So we say it, which ultimately displays that we are worshiping ourselves. If it's more about, right, the way it's done than the God I love. Core principle maybe through this as we talk about tradition is tradition for God without affection for God is offensive to God. Affection for God is created in us by God, which gives us growing affection in our lives for God that is expressed outwardly in our lives. So maybe a way of saying this would be through Galatians 5. Galatians 5 would say in verse 19, I'm going to read this section. It's important. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, Right? And so now we're getting into the, like, whoa, those are really bad things. Idolatry, sexual immorality, those are really bad things. But there's a section of, of the flesh that really is personified many times in the church. And he says these things in Galatians 5. So these are the really, really bad things. But here may be things that are common in the church. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And this middle section of sins really is oftentimes found within the forms of why I want you to do it this way. And now I'm mad, and so now I can justify my anger. I can justify causing dissension. Are you with me? And that's what happens. But then it transitions. And then it says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
See, in us and in our heart, what does God want to do? He wants to increasingly make he wants to increasingly sanctify us or increasingly make us look more and more like the one we love. More and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in this doing of work, as he does that, we are going to see fruit born more and more in our life. And it's going to be displayed outwardly amongst those that, that believe and those who don't believe. And as this, as this is shown out, and so many ways, maybe say it like this, the gospel-driven worship. It's this recognition in my life that I was hopelessly lost I was without a God. I had, had no redemption for my sin. I was lost and wandering. And then someone, and else, this is Ryan Johnson, someone, as I grew up and as I listened, I was told about a wonderful Savior who died on the cross for me. But even in knowing about it in my own life, I rejected and I rebelled against him. I did not submit to him. And then in my desperation, I called out to God and I asked Jesus Christ to save my soul. And he did. And he redeemed me. And he is making me and has made me a new man, a different man than I was. See, it is without doubt in Ryan Johnston's mind, and I know in many of yours, that Jesus Christ came to earth, walked in the flesh, was, was arrested, was beaten, was crucified, was buried. But he did not stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. He is seated on high. And he is working today in this world. Jesus Christ has come, and he is the object of affection of the church because he is the only thing that makes the church the church. The only thing that makes us holy, it isn't our practice, it's Jesus. The only thing that makes me righteous, it's not my practice, it's Jesus. And in a recognition of what Jesus has done for me, this will lead us to good places. Now, there are things that we ought not do when we gather together, and there's things that we ought not do when we are apart from each other. Right? There are things, and there's traditions that are very good, and there are some traditions that are very bad. But in this, the, the first things first is we can't, we, can't, we can't step past our Savior and a love for him that is the foundation for everything else we do. I believe as a people, when we start at the place of a grateful heart for the one who died for us, we end at good places. When we skip over that, when we assume that, we end up in very, very bad places. The worst assumption you can make in the church is that everybody loves Jesus. I've met with people over and over long, for long times, so all through ministry. And I've, I've, I've began to say this one thing. And so if I say it to you, it's because I've observed it and I love you and I'm trying to help you. I said, in all of our meetings, I've heard you say so much about God, but I've never heard you mention the name of Jesus. In all of our conversations, we sat, I never hear you talk about him. Why is that? Maybe for you in the room today, you're thinking in your own life, how often do I talk about Jesus? And if your answer is not much, my question to you is, why is that? What does that say about your worship? Because worship goes far beyond this room. Paul would define worship as magnification of God in all of life. Philippians 1, 20 and 21. Magnification of him, I think, means that I speak of him. I talk about him. I adore him. I love him. So in a conversation that we're going to have as we go through this text, I think these are important things to start with. 
And now that I've used most of my time, let's go. All right? So looking inwardly, we see for our own lives, looking inwardly, the core of our lives expressed. And we see that in this by the Pharisees. And so let's look at verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Now, the Pharisees, they were strict and jealous adherence to the law of the Old Testament and to numerous other traditions. And so it was about the Pharisees. It was about the law of God, but it was also about all these additions. And there was in the, um, the Talmud, and it had the Mishnah inside of it and other books. And there was all of these traditions that they were to keep. And, and there were insane ones, like on the Sabbath, you're not to work. But if you have this many nails in your boot, that means to lift your shoe would be to work. And so the, you could only have so many nails in your boot, so your boot would be light enough that when you walked, it wasn't work. Are you with me? Like, that's, that's the kind of things that they thought through. And this was of equal or heavier than, right, heavier than the scriptural tradition, the law of God, the, the, the written word. And so this is the issue of the Pharisees coming. Now, the scribes, these were, the scribes, don't think of them as kind of this like group that just wrote things down. These were very, very, very important men. And the scribes, they were recognized experts in Jewish law, including both the the canon of scripture and the traditional laws and regulations. And so anyway, a scribe would be one who has learned in the law, might be a way to say it. And so Jesus has the Pharisees who held to the traditions that were in the scribes, the experts, and they're coming at him saying, hey, what's up with you not, not keeping to the traditions? What you claim, what we observe is you are not what you claim to be. You're something different. So continues, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed, And then for the Pharisees, all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the traditions of elders. And so here, defiled, meaning ritually unclean, that they they hadn't done the rituals needed to display a cleanliness in their life of of, of, um, an outward cleanliness and an inward cleanliness because they weren't doing this. And the ritual cleansings, these were for the priests. And so what, what had happened is this is, if you look at Exodus, this is for the priests in the Old Testament. This was what was given to them in Levitical law. And what was given to them, the, <clears throat> what, what the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the tradition of the elders, what they did is they began to prescribe this onto everyone else. And so now this came for everyone else. Now, in the Old Testament, right, the, the, the priests had a special place in Hebrews. We, we learned that Jesus is the high priest, that we don't need a priest anymore, that the priests continue to do sacrifices. But in Hebrews, we see that Jesus, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. And so the sacrificial system is over. Jesus has done this. And so they're imposing. Now Jesus is walking on earth. This is kind of this inter, intermittent time. But what Jesus is doing in this is he's, he's making this kind of solid statement. But what they're doing is they're, they're coming against him. So the, the ritual cleansing, they, they're imposing this on them all. We, we do this in the church sometimes with pastors. We're like, man, I've got to do all this hard stuff like, to do pastoral ministry, so I'm going to start imposing these rules on you. And so in ministry, sometimes what we do is we take the burden of our own lives and we impose it upon everyone else and make them feel guilty for not accomplishing that which what God has asked me to do. I'm just saying, I don't do that to you, but sometimes that happens, right, in preaching. And so in verse 4, it continues in, and when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. And so in this, what we see is and it's kind of that nail in the shoe kind of thing. So they're looking at these specific outward things. They're saying, you're not keeping up with the traditions, therefore you are unholy. You're defiled. Verse 5, and when the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus, why don't you lead them well? What's wrong with you? They eat with defiled hands. What they're saying is you are impure, and so aren't they. Answer for it. See, we do this all the time with questions, and I'm a parent, and so I hear this all the time with my kids. They come up to me, and they'll say something to the effect of, Dad, did you know that Kinsley is doing such and such? Now, I would like to think that they were just in great concern and care for their sister, (laughs) that there is a desire for for good to be done and for safety to occur. But what's the question is, like, I want her to be in trouble, right? Like, I'm, I'm ready for her to be punished. I can't wait for this to go down. And once I expose this ultimate truth, right, through question, dad is going to lay the hammer down because that's what dad does, right? And that, that's what we do. And we do, we do, this, um, we do this all the time. And, and the question that really what they're, at, at the root of their question is, you're not doing things right, and you need to pay, and you need to stop, and I'm going to be affirmed in being right by asking this question. And that's what the, the Pharisees are really doing with Jesus in this. And what their issue is, is really an issue of justice. It's an issue, issue in how they view sin. It's an issue in their pride. And it's an issue that they really, at the root of their hearts, have a deep fear of man. And maybe to express this is the issue of justice and sin Justice and sin, they, they want others to pay that don't achieve to the highest level of spirituality they do. And so they in, impose what they're good at upon others. By the way, that's self-righteousness. When you impose that which you excel on in the faith on others, that's self-righteousness. And so when you say, everybody should read their Bible two hours a day. If you don't read your Bible two hours a day, you're not a good Christian. Well, I read my Bible two hours a day and all this. Well, that's not how that works. Like, that's a wonderful thing for you. Undoubtedly, that would be a good thing for anyone who does that. But if you're, if, you're, if you're saying their righteousness isn't found in how much time they spend in the Bible, you haven't got a good glimpse of Jesus yet. Because your righteousness ain't found in how much time you spend in the Bible. It's found in a man dying on the cross for your sins. And so we impose that on others. And so what, what are they imposing here on the disciples? That which they excel in. They excel in keeping the law. And they're now imposing that upon, upon Jesus and the disciples and their issue of sin is sin isn't this thing that, that really is in the depths of my heart that I need to be redeemed from. It's all in my behavior, my actions, and my outward things. The root of sin is not in what I do. The root of sin is in my motive. It's in my heart. It's in my selfishness. It's in my pride. It's in my fear of men, not in these external. It, what I do on the outside is just a result of what's going on inside, which we'll talk about in two weeks in ex- extensively. And so we, we see this happening. And so God is concerned with, with, with <clears throat> the misconception is God is concerned with our behavior most, rules, <clears throat> the rules we follow, the form in which we do things. 
But the truth is, is God wants me. He wants my heart. He wants my soul. He wants all of me. He wants my affection. See, and then the church is about, about substance, not about form. Church is, is something that we are. It's not a place we go. And what's really important, and we're going to talk about this here this morning, what's really important about understanding this text about worship and church, it isn't about what we do in this room which is one of the major misconceptions we have. If we don't believe we're the church, we'll never be the church in the world. If the church only happens once a week, the church will never happen outside of the church. And you think, well, you're, you're messing with semantics. Not really. I don't think I am. I mean, it changes how I live in my neighborhood if I view myself as the church. It changes how I act toward those that are, I'm frustrated with in line if I see myself as an expression of the body of Christ wherever I am in all places, gathered and scattered outward. And so in this, the church is about substance, not about form. We as the body of Christ, this is about us expressing the body and the life of Jesus in the everyday places of life, wherever we go and whatever we do. It's something we are, something that we embrace embrace as we walk in, in full devotion, consecrated to God in our lives. And then as we do this, we see the collective fruits of his work in us and through us, no longer bound by law and no longer needing to create law, but living free under his grace, living by the power of his Holy Spirit as his church in this world. The core of our lives expressed, the core of our lives is expressed by the questions we ask and the motives of our heart. And here, the, for, for the Pharisees and scribes, the core of their lives is expressed easily in front of Jesus. So Jesus addresses it in the core of our lives exposed. It says in verse 6, And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? Now hypocrites, right, this is a strong statement. I mean, like, let's not mince words here. If I stand up and I look at John Thomas and I say, John, you are a hypocrite. Right, that, that's fighting words, right, John? Right, that's, this is getting real. Right? And so what Jesus does in this moment is he, he takes it to a whole other level. He doesn't just address him and like, hey, you kind of, you're, you're a bit misguided. You need to really rethink that. I think we, we're on the same page here. But, but if you could just think a little bit more like this and we could find a middle ground. He says, no, you hypocrites. You're saying one thing, but you're far different than that. And, and in this, he's going to call them. He's going to expose them. He says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. So he's going to go back to the law of God, to this holy word, to the scriptures. And he's going to call them to the word over the traditions of men. And in calling that, he is now going to quote Isaiah. And this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Honor me with lips outward, not inward. What you're doing is, is, is an outward expression, not something that has happened inward inside of you. Your heart is far from me. I want you, but I don't have you. In vain do they honor me. In vain do they worship me. The vanity of worship without result is really the idea of it. In vain, without result do you worship me. You think that you're doing something, but you're doing nothing. We talk about that. It's kind of been a thing that, that when, when the church sings songs like I Surrender All, it could be the greatest collection of liars that's ever gathered. 
Because it's, it's a pretty big statement to sing. I surrender all. This is, that's like everything. My hopes, my dreams, my future, my kids, my wife, my life. I surrender all. With my lips, right? What I'm saying is it, is it what is in my heart? Whether it's a hymn, a contemporary song, whatever it is. Am I expressing I love you, I long for you, I desire you with my life. And this isn't just about singing, this is about life. And it says, teaching as the doctrines, the commandments of men. Doctrines, the content of, core of teachings as commandments of men. The weighty thing, and what he's saying is, is what is weighty to you, what we hold to here at the chapel of Canton, we hold to the doctrines of the faith. Right? And if you, what he's saying in this is what holds more weight to them? The Pharisees and the scribes, the, the commandments of men or the commandments of God, and what is more weighty to them? And easily the commandments, the commandments of men are far more weighty than commandments of God to them. Right? This is the exposure of their hearts. What is more weighty to you? The traditions or the commandments? preferences and what we like, self-righteousness, or the word, the commands of God. So in here, he calls them hypocrites. Now, defining worship, this is what he's attacking them on, their worship, their lives, their expressions toward God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do in all of life, do all for the glory of God. Philippians 1.20, that Christ might be magnified my, my paraphrase here, that Christ might be magnified in my life. And whatever I do, where, whether, I, whether I eat, whether I sleep, where I, whether, whether I'm awake, whether I'm at the grocery store, whether I'm in a line, whether I'm wherever I am in life, I want Jesus Christ to be magnified in my life. I want him to be made much of and that when that crazy thing is that's going to come out of my mouth, that's not going to magnify him, what do I do? I catch it, I throw it away, and I don't say it. Because in my heart, I know that I am bent toward my flesh. I am bent toward sin. And I no longer want to live that way. And so worship for me is more than a song. It's more than what I do in a room on Sunday morning. It's about me saying in my heart, in my soul, God, I want you magnified in my life. And this is really the heart and soul of worship. You want to see a worshiper on Sunday morning? Let me see a guy like that on, on, on Wednesday afternoon. Someone in our lives, all of us saying things like that, that God, I want you to be magnified in whatever I do. See, this is the essence of worship, pure and true worship. See, but exposed, where they're exposed, as they say things from their mouths, we say things from our mouths that we don't mean in our hearts. The commandments of men, people we have learned from, have a greater weight than God. I think where that might hit home for some of us, and I know it did me as I thought about this. We might say things like, I grew up here. We've always done things like this. My pastor said, and we don't speak of our Jesus much in the weight of those things. We don't speak of the commandments of God much in those things. And we assume, well, my pastor was a godly man, so if I quote him, then I am a godly man. Well, this is the error that we see to ha saw happen here. 
Because what if my children quote my pastor rather than God's word? And what if their children quote their pastor and my pastor? See, we have the full revelation of God in his word. Speaking of his word and speaking of our Savior. See, these are the prominent, primary, first things first kind of things. And we do this in our own lives. Now, I'm going to quote pastors that I like, that I believe in, that I've heard from. But they don't hold near, even close, not even in this realm of possibility, a place that the word of God does in my Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in this, we, 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 we see our heart exposed in that which we love most. And they did, this, they did in this text. And then last, the core of our lives examined. And he restates it in verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. What defines your experience with Jesus? What is it? What is ours in this room? Intimacy with God that results in obedience or religious rituals that have no effect in our life. I'm going to say that again. What, what is it that defines our experience? Intimacy with God that results in obedience. So I hear truth. I apply truth. I live truth. I push into God's word. I hear truth. I apply truth. I live truth. Or does your experience, I do religious things. And I hope they change my life, but they never really have. I go to church on Sunday. I go to an MC midweek. My life's not really different. My heart's not really changed. I go through the motions, but my affection really isn't that strong for Jesus, if I'm honest. I've had a hard heart. I've had a cold heart for years. To be honest, I've been faking it so long that I'm almost faking myself now. Now, I say that from a place because I've been there. When you hang around religious stuff for a long time, it can become cold and it can become dry. And I don't care if you're singing songs with lights and cameras and smoke or whether you're singing and I'm preaching from a, a balcony, the traditional of traditional places. I don't, I don't think it matters which form you choose. Everything can become ritualistic and anything can become a tradition. And in those rituals and traditions, we can push away the Savior we can make it about all the other things, and before we know it, our hearts are not being changed. Obedience isn't happening. And we begin to fake it because everybody else, or maybe everybody else is doing great, but we just want to play the part. And what, what I think the scriptures are calling us to this morning is to examine our lives and don't live in that because it's not worth it. Because one day we will see him face to face, and one day we will answer for our lives. And that might be the selfish side of it. And then on the, on the other side of it, the glorifying God side of it is, I love him. Jesus died for me. This is astounding. How can, I, how can I live my life in some way that I'll magnify him in all that I say and do? So how do we express our hearts in the everyday of life? How, do we, how, are, how are we exposed this morning? How, how should we examine 
Well, I think this morning the greatest ways that we can express our hearts, how we, how we can look into our hearts, look into what is truly happening in our souls, is to not forget our Savior. I think the greatest thing that we can do in a response to this text is to assess our own hearts. If you've noticed this morning, it's been a lot of questions and maybe a few statements. Because I can't define this for you. And for some of you, the closest person to you can't even define this for you. They may be helpful in asking, but only you can. And when it comes to tradition, when it comes to happening, what's happening inside of my heart of hearts, the, the depths of my soul and my life, that's a place for you and God. And so really the application of this sermon this week would be this, and I challenge you with this. It's to take some pointed time away in your life this week and to ask yourself deeper questions about what's going on in your soul. I don't know if anybody ever feels like life is moving kind of fast, like you can't keep up. To be honest, I think that's one of the greatest tactics to get us into places like this, where our hearts aren't being transformed where our motives are wrong. It's when life moves so fast that we miss the Savior. A guy said to me one time, he goes, Ryan, I'm fearful for your soul because you're so busy that you don't have time for God. Our souls aren't fed in busyness. Our souls are fed in the quiet. And you are too busy for your soul to be fed. Right? That was like a punch in the middle of my chest. It took the air out of me. And it was a time I made a great adjustment in my life and spent some time with God really intentionally over a 10-day period saying, God, what's going on inside of Ryan Johnston's heart? And maybe for you this week, that's what God's asking you to do is just to go and be with him, to take some intent time with him that he might speak to you, might reveal your heart, and in that, you appropriately make adjustments and changes in your life, that you might magnify him in all you do. That together, as his church, we might magnify him in all that we do. And so this morning, let's pray together. And after we pray, we're going to have a time um, to assess even more. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. Lord, we recognize this morning that our traditions and, and the things we do, Lord, Many of them, Lord, they're things that, that we've thought of, that we've created in ways to accomplish the things that you've asked of us, and some really good, and some, Lord, maybe have ended with poor result in our lives. For some of us in this room, they've had great benefit. For others, not. And Lord, I just know that in a room like this, Lord, where there's children to senior adults, four or five generations gathered together in this room. Lord, the trap for all of us is to, to, to say things from our lips that we don't mean in our heart. To go through motions without allowing you to do this deep work inside of our soul. So even as we pause at the end of this service to, to sing another song about your amazing grace, about what you have done for us, such a traditional song of traditional songs, 
Lord, would you assess our hearts, our affection, our love? Would you reveal to us what's truly going on inside of us and help us to repent, to turn away from the meaningless and turn toward you the only meaningful thing there is? Lord, do a great work inside of our soul, in our hearts, in our lives. Help us to love you most, more than anything else. Lord, whether there's a person here that needs to rededicate, who needs to recommit their life to you, who is just in a season of barrenness, Lord, would you, would you do a great work in their heart this morning, even as we sing this song? If there's someone in this room that doesn't know you, Today, Jesus, they recognize that you, Jesus, you died for them on the cross. Lord, would you bring them to to repentance, to turn from their sin, and to give their heart and their life to you. And for all of us, Lord, help us to assess our lives, that we might exalt you above everything else. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing. And as we sing, these altars are open for you to come, kneel and pray, and I'm down front to talk.